Hey everyone, welcome to podcast number 28 and it is about anxiety. This podcast I think has been, well the the topic of the podcast has been probably one of my most requested things to do. There's been so many times where I've been like, I might do anxiety, I might do this and I've always gone for the other one. Um, to be dead honest, purely because the amount of planning that goes behind the anxiety podcast is quite a bit because there's just so many different facets to anxiety. So I was like, just fucking sit down, Alexis, get your shit together and put together the anxiety podcast because I think I think it's going to be really good. I'm going to be talking about – the way I'm actually going to break it down is I'm going to be talking about actual anxiety disorders and then I'm going to be talking about feelings of anxiety as well because I would imagine that every single one of us at some point in our life has experienced anxiety – if you haven't, that's not normal because anxiety is actually a natural response to something. But then there's sort of excessive anxiety and then from excessive anxiety, then that goes into um, having an anxiety problem to then having an actual anxiety disorder. So the first thing I will be doing is breaking down the main anxiety disorders. Keep in mind, I'm not going to be mentioning all of them and some anxiety disorders are going to be subcategories of the one that I mentioned. So I'm just going to be breaking down kind of the main ones or the most common ones. Um, and then after I talk about that, I'm going to be talking about a little bit of the pharmacology of like how, how people treat those disorders. But then I'm going to spend the main part of the rest of the podcast dealing with feelings of anxiety because this what I want to make extremely clear, my disclaimer is that this podcast is not a diagnosis, obviously. I'm not trying to diagnose anyone. I'm just getting you guys aware of what an anxiety disorder is versus having a lot of feelings of anxiety because there are big differences. So if you feel that you really um, resonate with one of the the disorders that I talk about and you see yourself really heavily in any of those, then you have to speak to a professional about this because there are quite amazing cognitive behavior therapies for anxiety um, and some people might need a mix between cognitive behavior therapy and medication that sometimes works best for some people. Um, so while a lot of this content that I'm going to be saying today might be useful for you guys um, and I am very grateful that it is useful for you, you've got to understand that a legitimate anxiety disorder is not fixed with one podcast or in an instant. It often takes a lot of rewiring and relearning um, certain things that you do and behaviors and whatever. So yeah, also understand that if you're like, wow, that's really me. I want to know more about it. This is where I draw the line. You can't be emailing me. You can't be DMing me. I'm not a professional psychiatrist or psychologist. And so my advice ends here. If you want anything more further than this, speak to a professional. I cannot and will not be responding to any specific questions regarding your anxiety disorder because that's out of completely out of my depth and I won't be doing that. So please, 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 please. If anything, I just hope that this has been maybe a good wake-up call for you to seek some professional help um, that's going to help you gain the tools to overcome or to at least treat your anxiety disorder if you feel that you have one. But um, like I said, this podcast is not an official diagnosis. That goes without saying. I'm sure you guys are aware, but surprisingly enough, I still feel like I need to say that. Okay, before we get 
any like deeper into that, I want to go over my week. That was, um, I actually finished my book. I'm recording this. So this is going up on the Sunday. I'm recording this on the Friday. I finished my book a day early, which was yesterday, um, and already submitted it. So that's done now. And it feels like it's happened so quickly because I think I only just announced the book to you guys. But this has been sort of three, two and a half months in the making to write the book. Um, 25,000 words and honestly it felt like the biggest accomplishment. One, oh, I don't know, one of the biggest accomplishments. I probably would, yeah, uni has definitely been harder. Um, But yeah, really exciting. Cannot wait for the book to be in your hands. I've had so many people ask me about pre-ordering and whatever. I'm going to be speaking to the publisher and figuring out exactly what the deal is but it's we're aiming to have the book out by April next year so that's yeah fucking exciting um what else I've only got two weeks left of uni I'm not going to know myself imagine no uni no book to write what I'm just going to be having to you know me I like being busy so I'm going to have to like create actually I've got ideas I've got ideas I've got a project that I'm really excited to work on that I'm going to be doing for you guys and it's Anyway, not going to talk about it too much. Like I say, I hate talking about shit unless I'm actioning it, but I've got ideas. So that's probably what I'm going to be diving deep into once uni is done at the end of November. Um, Oh, yes. Okay. Another really exciting, really fucking exciting thing that I'm going to start doing is, so I've always been a huge fan. I don't know if you guys follow her or not, but Rachel Dillon, who's like a... I guess you could call it a fitness influencer, but it's more than just an influencer. She runs these amazing challenges. She's just got this incredible mindset around, you know, a healthy, balanced lifestyle. She's just an absolute gun, super, like super down to earth, natural. I've just loved her for years. Anyway, Rachel and I are actually going to be working together on her next challenge with Bodies by Rachel. And that's starting in the next, I want to say week or two. Um, And I'm going to be running the mindset side of that challenge so this is fucking huge for me because to work with someone like Rachel who I adore and to collaborate with someone who I really align with her kind of mindset around how how she does the things she does it's like the absolute opposite of a toxic mindset it's just really healthy really balanced just an amazing way of achieving what you want to be achieving. So for me to be able to align with her and be running the mindset training, we're going to be doing Facebook lives together for all the participants of the challenge. Um, Once a week, we're going to be getting on and doing the Facebook lives and yeah, answering their questions. Honestly, this is going to be fucking huge. So if any of you guys are actually doing Rachel's challenge, then I'll fucking see you on the Facebook lives. I'm so excited. Anyway, so I thought I'd let you guys know about that because this is, um, yeah, very big for me and really exciting for me just to work with, Yeah, people that I respect so much and adore. Um, What else? I was just trying to think if I've got any embarrassing stories. I I also noticed that I hadn't put up um, the video of Giselle and I doing that fucking TikTok dance. So, yeah, I still think that Giselle will kill me though. Anyway, but there's a – yeah, no, I'm going to get my cousin Giselle on the podcast and that way we can kind of decide what I can and cannot share about our very embarrassing – childhood we've got all these videos we've got there's so much ammunition that I could share that is so embarrassing but I feel like I feel like I need Giselle's consent to upload all those videos because I wanted to upload these videos on the Facebook group anyway I'm just gonna leave it at that 
So let's get straight into it. Like, f- stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop fucking around and I'm going to get straight into it because this is a very, very, very cool topic. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is break down the main anxiety disorders. So I'll name them all and then I'll break them down. So you've got generalized anxiety disorder, you've got obsessive compulsive disorder, post traumatic stress disorder, social anxiety. So they're the four main ones that I'm going to be covering. So, and then after that, I'm going to talk about sort of medication and things that you can do. Okay, so the first one is generalized anxiety disorder. So this disorder is where you have excessive worry and stress about really simple events or occurrences in your life. So it might be something that you see other people just being totally calm about, but you just stress about it. And it's not necessarily, this is what's called generalized anxiety disorder because you might be fine in a social setting, but then in the back of your mind, you're really anxious about something that should be done but hasn't been done. And it could be something minor or you're really anxious at the fact that you had a conversation with someone, but you felt that it didn't end well. And now that's playing on your mind and just ruining your day. You're not able to sort of... um, you're not able to have that as a standalone like, oh, that sucks, but anyway, I'll, I'll deal with that later. It kind of takes over your day, but you might be, because I'm going to speak about social anxiety later, you might find that you're totally fine being around people, you're totally fine being around crowds and speaking in front of people, but it's more an anxiety around everyday small problems that just get blown up in your mind and then you are just absolutely stressing about it and not able to... Um, you know, do your day-to-day tasks without, you know, without thinking about it. So generalized anxiety disorder, it's really hard to concentrate. It's really hard to work. Worries occupying your mind the whole time. And often the person anticipates the worst case scenarios. So because they're always anticipating the worst case scenarios, they're always feeling quite stressed and exhausted. And the reason you're going to feel stressed and exhausted when you have something like generalized anxiety disorder is because with anxiety, your heart rate goes up you're kind of in this fight or flight you know even if it's like a subtle fight or flight but you've got the adrenaline you've got that heart rate up your body's kind of ready to act because if you think about it anxiety in general acute anxiety is necessary anxiety and fear run on very similar if not the same pathways in the brain and it's kind of fight or flight it's the idea of like wow here's a problem get the fuck away from it or do something about it. That's the same as fear, fight or flight. So anxiety is necessary and it is useful when it is acute. But the issue with any kind of anxiety disorder or just anxiety problem is that you're then taking it from this acute scenario and then it's like bleeding through your whole day. Um, and that's where why you're going to feel so exhausted because, you know, your heart is pumping a lot faster. You're in this like stressed mode. Okay, that's generalized anxiety disorder. It's also known as GAD. Then we've got obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. So these are thoughts and obsessions. People with OCD, this is definitely an anxiety disorder because they feel that they have to engage in these rituals or behaviors and they absolutely cannot stop. And they feel a very, like a very comforting sense of relief the moment they've done that behavior, but it's really short lived. Um, And then they start to stress about it again. Um, so they get that relief once they've done the action, whether it's washing their hands or whether it's like flipping a light switch a certain amount of times or whether it's, you know, a certain way that they have to open a door. It could be anything. Um, but then 
that anxiety or fear starts to creep in straight away, like they've got to check the lock again and again and again. Um, they can recognize that it is an obsessive compulsive disorder. So p- patients that have OCD are very aware that they have OCD. They're very aware that it's that other people don't need to do it, that it feels irrational, but they can't, they feel that they can't do anything about it because, like about their compulsions because they're scared that if they didn't, that these fears are real. So they're like, I get that it's crazy, but these fears are so real in my head that I can't not do this behavior. They feel if I don't do this certain thing a couple of times, then X, Y, Z is going to happen to me. Like you might fear germs, you might fear, you know, anything that's going to put you in danger, um, et cetera, et cetera. So OCD, it's quite, um, this, you know, it's, it's very intricate. I can't really go too, too into it, but there's many different facets of OCD. It's quite, it's quite fascinating and interesting, but I can't obviously delve so much into that one. Then you've got PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So that's caused by trauma, by something you've either witnessed or experienced. Um, and this is, you know, flashbacks, nightmares, um, or you're tense and irritable all the time. Uh, people with PTSD, it's really hard for them to build relationships and form like close bonds and trust because of this, because of this trauma. Um, and it can crop up at random times in your life, even when you don't expect it. So you might be having like a perfectly normal day and something might trigger it, but you don't even acknowledge that as being the trigger. And sometimes PTSD can go completely unnoticed. Like you could have the original trauma event and then it could be years before you then um, start experiencing symptoms of PTSD. And then we've got social anxiety. So social anxiety is this idea where you, um, you fear being judged embarrassed or humiliated when you are in a social situation so this could be a crowd a networking event just speaking to one person it doesn't have to be that you're on a stage or it could be a speech so it could be anything that's got to do with interacting with the general public normally with people that you don't know that well you're not going to have social anxiety disorder if it's just your you know intimate group of friends that you know very well that's not social anxiety it's more around where you feel you're going to be embarrassed, humiliated, humiliated or judged. So when people have social anxiety, these people are going to be avoiding situations that they know are going to bring up these feelings. But then the problem with that, it's kind of a vicious cycle because you start to avoid it. It then grows, like the fear grows bigger in your head because now you've avoided it, you've not experienced it. So now in your head, you're like, wow, it's probably really bad. It's probably really bad because you're not giving yourself the opportunity and the exposure to it and giving yourself the chance that it might not be bad, then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So the less interaction that people with social anxiety disorder have in social situations, it's more likely to get worse and worse and worse. Um, So that's basically social anxiety. Guys, this is not to be confused with shyness because shyness is someone that just um won't necessarily feel anxiety or irrational levels of anxiety around it they might just be reserved so there is a difference between shyness and um, social anxiety disorder guys there's one more that i forgot to mention and that's panic disorder that is categorized as a form of anxiety i didn't mention that earlier so panic disorder is where you've got sudden terror without any warning um, about that and it occurs repeatedly this terror which then results in a panic attack. So that's heart palpitations, chest pains, shortness of breath. So often when people have a panic disorder, they actually, if it's the first time, they actually think that they may be having a heart attack. That's 
why the symptoms are so similar. So like I was talking before about generalized anxiety and anxiety in general, it's that concept of the physical symptoms that play out as well. So you've got that heart rate, the you might be sweating, your pupils are dilated. So imagine that panic, a panic attack is that, but just escalated to a much, much higher level. So you're feeling like this crazy tightness in your chest. It's extremely scary and unpleasant, especially if you've never had a panic attack before. Now, with all these things, with all these different kinds of anxiety disorders, cognitive behavior therapy is one of the best treatments for anxiety. Um, And these are, you know, there's like ladder steps that you can do. Exposure therapy is a big one where you look at like what's the absolute most intense situation that I could be in. And now let's like break it down into the, the smallest version of that. So say you have to speak in front of an audience of 200 people and that's like the most anxiety provoking thing ever, then how would you break that down? It's like, okay, so the first step would be like, could I go and speak to a random on the street? Or less than that, could I speak to, say you got into an Uber and you're speaking to the driver. That's easier than speaking to a random on the street. And that's kind of how you layer up your exposure therapy. So there's all these different treatments that you can do within anxiety for exposure therapy. But then there's also um, medication that you can take So one of the main medications for anxiety are beta blockers. So a beta blocker acts on the beta adrenergic receptor. So this is a site in the cell where chemical messages such as adrenaline, also known as norepinephrine and noradrenaline, um, bind and those are the chemicals that are responsible for the flight or fight actions. So this is where your heart rate goes up, your pupils dilate. It's the adrenaline rush. It's where... um, yeah, you're basically ready to take action. Um, But this site can get really overactive for a whole array of different reasons. So by blocking that site, the binding of the chemical messengers, you block that cellular cascade of events that normally would trigger a flight or fight response. So that's why it's called a beta blocker because you are blocking the, um, the receptor where adrenaline norepinephrine or noradrenaline would be binding to so what happens is that the actual molecule of the beta blocker this medication that you could take there's a whole bunch of names but there's a whole different whole array of different kinds of beta blockers that you could take but it's basically a molecule that binds into the pocket where the other chemical messengers normally would bind so that way you're basically blocking it so those messengers just you know can't enter that binding site they can't activate that receptor so you're not getting this crazy overactive kind of fight or flight response Um, so this is why it's good to treat the physical symptoms of anxiety while it's not treating the cause it does treat the physical symptoms and for a lot of people that can be really really helpful because a lot of the time you'll start getting it's a bit of like a catch-22 situation you start feeling anxious You've got the physical symptoms, so then those physical symptoms make you more anxious and then it kind of goes round and round in circles. So if you can at least treat the physical symptoms, then that's a way of at least starting to calm the mind down. However, ideally, you want to be treating physical and um, the psychological symptoms as well. But it is a drug that a lot of people find really helpful when they're about to you know, get up on a stage and talk to people or in a social situation if they've got you know, these problems. But there obviously are side effects like every other drug and you obviously need to be prescribed this drug. You can't just go and buy a beta blocker. Um, But that's one of the main ways of treating anxiety. 
Beta blockers also work for people with heart conditions because as it is blocking that um, the site for adrenaline, it's kind of calming down the heart rate. So it makes sense that it's also used to treat um, people with heart, certain heart conditions, not all, obviously. Okay, now I want to talk about, so that's pretty much me covering anxiety disorders. So these are actual disorders that you can be diagnosed with by a professional. So if you feel that this may be you, 100% go to a professional. If you're not sure where to start, go to your GP and then they will refer you on from there. Um, Okay, now I'm just going to be talking about different kinds of anxiety that, you know, you may experience throughout your life. But one that I want to tackle first because I've surprisingly been asked this one so much and it's anxiety the day after a night out. This is so common and I want to explain to you kind of what's going on here and what's probably going on in your mind. So if you are one of those people that have like a really bad come down from the night before, whether you do alcohol, drugs, this is a no judgment zone, whatever the fuck you're doing the night before, the next day you've got that that impeding sense of doom about your life and you just feel shit about yourself, you feel like self-blame, you're feeling horrible, you've got this low level or high level of anxiety that's just like kind of sitting with you all day long. It's just extremely unpleasant. So I'm going to explain to you why you're probably feeling these feelings. It's not just anxiety but kind of like self-judgment and self-hatred. So what's happening? Number one, you're clearly feeling shit physically. You're probably hungover or whatever. That's number one. Number two, you're feeling a little bit guilty because you've wasted a day uh, possibly. You've wasted a day because you're hungover. You're not doing anything. You're not feeling productive. But also if you're someone that was on kind of like a healthy journey or if you were like eating really well or tracking your calories or whatever, then you're probably going to feel really shit about yourself if that's if you've just, you know, blown out and you've thrown all of that out the window. But the main number one reason that you're likely to feel so anxious is because you're experiencing or likely to be experiencing a chemical imbalance. So alcohol and a lot of drugs play a role, a very big one, in the chemical chemical messengers or neurotransmitters or hormones or peptides that are present in your brain. So as the brain is always seeking like homeostasis, it's always trying to find that balanced level. If you're then going in and influencing how these chemicals are acting or being used up in your brain, um, then the your brain's going to kind of alter how much of those uh, neurotransmitters it's releasing. So, for example, I'm going to explain kind of the actions of cocaine, for example. So, what you get with cocaine, and weirdly enough, antidepressants work quite similar to this. But what happens is you're actually blocking the reuptake of messengers such as dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine. So, these are like your monoamines. These are your feel-good neurotransmitters they're going to make you uh, feel rewarded and if you do it you get this ping in your mind of like wow I'm like that's that's really good I feel rewarded I want to do it again it's the whole rewards pathway that circuitry it's a lot more technical than that but let's not get we don't need to go into that what happens is your brain's not actually producing excessive amounts when you take a drug that works on these monoamines your brain's not producing more dopamine You're not ingesting, when you take a drug, you're not ingesting dopamine, you're not ingesting serotonin. What happens is that the cells, the way they communicate, one cell is going to be dumping, let's say, dopamine into this this synapse, the gap between the cells. And then the second cell is what um, takes in 
the dopamine, for example. And that's how cells communicate with different neurotransmitters for you to feel different things. Normally what happens though is that a cell is going to like release dopamine, the other cell eats up that dopamine, but there's normally leftover dopamine in that gap. So then you've got these things called transporters that eat up that dopamine and pump it back into the original cell that it came from. What happens when you take something like an antidepressant or cocaine? They obviously work clearly, they work differently, but they both work on similar neurotransmitters. Uh, So what's happening is that when you take something like cocaine, you block the transporters. So then there's more dopamine or serotonin in that gap. So the other cell, that's the secondary cell, is constantly getting activated and its channels are opening, taking in more and more and more and more of that particular neurotransmitter. That's what happens when you are taking these these, um, drugs. So then your brain's thinking, holy fucking shit, there's so much dopamine now being taken in. I need to regulate. I need to self-regulate. The brain, like the body, is always self-regulating. So it stops producing so much dopamine. It tries to limit the production of the dopamine because it's trying to level out. It's understanding. It's like, whoa, I'm getting too much. I'm feeling this way. I need to... But there's a bit of a residual effect. Like this doesn't happen instantly. It takes a little bit longer. So then the next day, not only are you feeling sick, not only are you feeling shit because you've done fuck all, but then you're also going to be feeling a chemical imbalance because your brain has tried to do a job of evening itself out, but then the drugs have worn off, alcohol's worn off, everything's worn off, and now you've got like that that slump in the production of those feel-good neurotransmitters, which does even out eventually. But that's kind of a way to make you feel, just to understand your mind and your brain and what's actually going on in your body when you're going through that like horrible, anxious day when you've got to come down or the day after a big night out. That is essentially the pharmacology of what's going on in your brain uh, the next day. So if you are one of those people that feels just absolutely awful the next day, understand that it is an actual chemical imbalance. So that kind of will help you. I think when you know what's going on, it does help ease the pressure off yourself. I think some people think, oh, why do I feel this way? But sometimes when you know the reason why you feel a certain way, you're more likely to just be accepting of it and be a bit calmer. So that's, that is what's happening. Um, as far as what can you do about it? Not much. Just don't go out if you don't like the feeling of it the next day. Um, At the end of the day, if you're doing something to influence how your brain is going to function and you're influencing it on a chemical level, you just have to wait it out. You know, you have to weigh up what you value more, the night of the party or the day after. And there's no judgment here. That's That's your call. So, yeah. If you feel like horrendous anxiety the next day and it's absolutely debilitating, then, well... The answer is obvious. Don't go out. Um, anyway, so that's that's that. Now let's talk about general feelings of anxiety. You've got to understand that anxiety does play on the same, like I said before, it's a fear in a way. It's the same pathways are firing up in the brain. It's very similar, if not the same circuitry that's going on in the brain. The difference being that fear is normally very um, specific you can pretty much pinpoint what you're scared of. If you're feeling feelings of fear and your brain's firing in that way, it's almost like it's very easy to say, this is what I am fearing right now. Anxiety is normally a lot more generalized. So it's often hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on. You, you don't feel like, ah, oh, that one thing is scaring me right now. You kind of feel this overall sense of kind of like doom or sense of like something's not right, something's not right. 
I'm feeling uneasy. My heart rate is up. I feel, you know, this feeling in my tummy, you know, but it's not this like really specific acute fear. But the mechanisms within the brain are very, very similar. Now with anxiety, it's also a big sense of powerlessness and often the powerlessness, let's try saying that 10 times, powerlessness. Often the powerlessness comes from not being able to pinpoint exactly what's going on. Also then trying to suppress your feelings of anxiety. You're trying to like push it down, push it down, push it down and cover it up with, you know, activities and whatever. So it's this low level, you know, not well, not necessarily low level, but it's this underlying feeling that you've got throughout the whole day. Um, and because you can't pinpoint it and because you haven't really addressed it, you've pushed it down, um, then you're going to continue to feel even more powerless. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle here. So now I want to break down for you guys kind of what to do when you're feeling anxious or when you start to notice these symptoms, these physical symptoms. So the first thing you need to do is when you start feeling anxious, like I said, there's going to be psychological, emotional symptoms, but then physical symptoms as well. So you want to pause and check in firstly with your physical symptoms. How's your heart rate? Slow down your movement breathe, pause, get off the task that you're doing and you need to just take a moment to check in with yourself. If you don't do that, then it's going to continue to fester and grow in your mind, right? This feeling, you're trying to suppress it, but because you're not addressing any of the symptoms whatsoever, it's just going to get worse. So it's super important you get off the task you're on and you just check in with your body for a moment really important that you don't do things that are going to um, stimulate your heart rate even further. If you have anxiety, don't have caffeine at that time. Like it sounds really dumb, but it's so important. Caffeine is a stimulant. It's going to make your heart race. It's a great pre-workout. It's great in general. I'm a huge fucking fan of caffeine. Love, 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 love. Don't have caffeine when you're feeling anxious. That's not going to help. Anything you can do to calm down your physical symptoms is going to help. So breathing techniques work really well for some people. Meditation, I'm the biggest advocate for meditation, the biggest advocate for meditation. However, if you are in a heightened, heightened state of stress and anxiety, sometimes you might find that trying to go from 100 back down to zero um, is almost impossible. So some people find that when they're really like stressed or anxious, meditating almost exacerbates the problem. So see how you go. It works for some, it works for others. What you'll find is meditation in general lowers anxiety amazingly, but that's just meditating every day, whether you are on are not anxious at the time. So meditation, great tool long-term for it, but it's kind of case dependent as far as is it good in that moment that kind of differs with people. So see if that works for you. But breathing is super important. Take a few deep breaths. You want to start to slow down your sympathetic nervous system. You want to calm it down. You want to get out of that fight or flight response and just calm down. That's number one. Number two, you want to identify your triggers. This is a huge problem. Sometimes we don't think exactly why am I feeling this way. So you're not going to get rid of that anxious feeling until you can, well, until it wears off, which might be days, um, or until you really can shed some light on it and address it. Often, 
the situation is a lot less serious or a lot less dramatic um, when we're able to shed light on it. You isolate that. You don't want it bleeding into every aspect of your life. And if you're not able to pinpoint where the trigger is coming from or what triggered you, then it's going to start to feed into all areas of your life. And before you know it, you'd be standing there being like, why am I feeling this way? Why, 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 why? When there is a reason, but sometimes it takes a little bit of digging to figure out what the reason was. So the first thing you do is you pinpoint what triggered this. It might not be what made you anxious, but what triggered this anxious feeling. So uh, an example of this would be, this is a big one. Let's take exes, for example. You'll be on social media. You've done everything you can do. You've blocked your exes or whatever. You're having a great time. And then you see someone, you see your ex appear in someone's story. You just see like a, a glimpse of them. Bang, your anxiety is triggered. And you now feel for the rest of your day, you feel this, this you know, awful feeling in your gut, in your chest, heart rates up, your breathing's really shallow. So the trigger was seeing your ex in that friend's story. That was the trigger, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that that in and of itself has made you anxious. It has reminded you of something that occurred in the past that was making you anxious. Another one that's so simple could be you saw someone wearing the exact outfit of your ex who was toxic or who you were so in love with who left you or whatever. And then that's then been a reminder. It's a trigger and now you're not feeling great. But the number one thing you need to do is identify the trigger. One for me that I noticed, if I have a conversation that doesn't go well or if I'm really stressed. So, for example, put it this way. I was on the phone to my mum the other day and I was like extremely flustered. I was all over the place. There was all this shit going on for me and I was super short with her and then hung up the phone and it kind of sat with me and I was feeling, oh, why do I have this low level kind of weird, I'm just feeling very unsettled and I was feeling unsettled and I rarely feel this way because I'm pretty good at addressing when things happen in the moment now. I've done a lot of the hard work and I've been doing all of that, you know, so in general, I'm pretty good with it. But of course, like everyone, there's 100% going to be moments where I'm like, I'm fucking anxious right now and I just don't know why. So I just paused and I sat with it. I'm like, when did this start? Because I did not wake up like this. When did this start? And I started to go through everything and I realized I wasn't comfortable with how the conversation was left. I was not comfortable with it. it he was making me feel bad. I was, was, I now don't know, you know, I just felt mean for being so blunt. And so then I called my mum back and I was like, hey, look, I'm, I'm very sorry for, you know, just being so short with you over the phone. And I was like snappy at her. Um, for no good reason at all. It was just that I was stressed on the stuff that I was doing and then I was fully projecting that onto her and on the conversation that we were having. So I called her and that like this is one of the best things to do. If you're in a situation like this, I called her. Obviously, she's my mom, so we're super tight, so it's fine. But you could do this with anyone. I called her and I was like, I'm so sorry for being short with you. That was completely uncalled for and not cool. I was just, you know, my head was in another place and that was just rude and I'm very sorry. She's a fucking legend. She's like, of course, that's fine. I know you've got a lot going on. Don't stress. You've got nothing to apologize for. But I'm like, I do because I don't like when I'm short with someone. It doesn't sit well with me. And because it doesn't sit well with me, my body then went into that state of like something's not right. So you're going to notice that when you are anxious, it's often your body telling you it's like an alarm going off saying something isn't sitting right with me. Something doesn't feel right. And if you don't address in that moment what it is, 
then you're going to go on throughout your whole day being like something's not right but I don't know what. That's why you're feeling this way because you're like at any moment that one thing that I don't know what it is that isn't right could spring up and ruin my day. So that's ultimately what you were feeling but chronically throughout the whole day instead of like an acute moment where you can get away with it, fix the problem like with fear and then be done with it. That's the problem with anxiety. Okay, so once you've now identified the trigger, once you've you've yeah, identified the trigger, you then want to seek what it is triggering. So, for example, one of my friends had this quite a an ugly no, I wouldn't say ugly, but an unpleasant breakup with a guy that she was kind of seeing. They really were into each other and then all of a sudden for no good reason, um, were at least no good reason that he explained to her. He probably obviously had his reasons. But he didn't explain a proper reason but kind of just ended it weirdly, you know, through like this – it was fucking weird. It was, you know how people – people are fucking shit at communicating and basically that was his deal. It was poor communication and ended it in a really unpleasant way. So she was feeling like really not great about it. She blocked him off social media, everything. She was feeling really good. And then one day, like I used as the example before, she saw that one of her friends that she follows on Instagram was out to dinner and she had just – she didn't even see him. He, I think she just tagged him in it. And she was like, oh, I'm feeling so anxious. I'm feeling anxious. So we were talking through it and I said, well, you've got to pinpoint exactly what you're anxious about because now that guy that, – that the reminder of him and the fact that he's out with your friends, whatever, it's, that's a trigger – you're obviously not anxious about that story going up. You're, you're now triggered about something that's occurred in your past. So that has now reminded her of what happened a few months earlier. And I said, but you need to pinpoint the exact moments that you're anxious about because right now you're blurring the one or two months that you were seeing this guy into one big anxious blob of the year. And it's not that. There's probably You could probably pinpoint it down to maybe – one, two, max three events that caused you severe anguish and anxiety at the time. So that's what you want to do. Let's pinpoint it. Let's get really specific because the more general it is, the more general that feeling is going to be throughout your day. You want to get very fucking specific. So we were able to then bring it down. I was like, what are the moments where you felt the most anxious? And it was when he had sent one particular message of like where it's all breaking down and whatever. So now we were able to, instead of being anxious about this whole time period, we were able to to um, hone in on that exact moment. And I said, okay, now let's relive that day. Because for me, what works really well is your memories are often just, you're just remembering the last time you recalled that memory. Every time you recall a memory, you then layer on new emotions and experiences to that uh so that's what a lot of the treatment with post-traumatic stress disorder is around it's about bringing up that memory in a safer environment so that way the next time that person recalls that traumatic traumatic event they feel a little bit more calmer and safer around it because the last time they recalled it was in a protected environment where they felt comfortable to relive it and not even they didn't have to relive it to the the extent that what it is you know you you'd, it's guided with the professional but they pretty much like talk you through certain stages of exposure and they kind of expose you to a little bit more of that memory a little bit more but getting you to have calm physical symptoms like you're, you're in a calm physical state while you're recalling it so that's that's what is good to do when you're feeling anxious. You want to pinpoint the exact moment like I did with my friend. We, we was like, okay, that was the exact day 
I was with you at that time. We were going for a walk. This is what we were doing. So we were able to really break it down to that one moment. And because we were able to bring it down to that one moment, we isolated that event from being anxious for your whole day about a whole bunch of times that you can't communicate with this man. We're now able to pinpoint the moment that you're feeling anxious about. And it, so seeing the guy tagged in that story was a trigger. You're then remembering the exact moment that made you feel the most anxious and you're able to isolate it as one individual moment in your entire year. So you take the power away from it. It no longer is, it doesn't mean that it's not painful, but it's no longer this kind of mystery feeling where you're feeling fucked and your sympathetic nervous system's firing up into fight or flight. You're now like, no, this is why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. I've now identified the I've, I've identified the trigger and I've identified what it's triggered the memory of. And then you're now recalling this memory in a calmer state. Please make sure that when you do this, you're also paying attention to your your state, your body, your breathing, your heart rate. Open up your chest, take a few deep breaths. When you remember it, it's good to even talk with someone about it. That's one of the best ways of doing it, even if it's just a mate, but make sure that it's not someone that's dramatic or triggering or exacerbating the problem, just someone who's neutral and calm that you can just recount a story to. Um, but that's what you want to do. You want to be noticing your, your physical symptoms. Are they getting worse? Are they getting better? Take a few deep breaths and retell the story in a calmer way. It's almost like you revisit it and you get a little bit of closure by doing that. Now, I'm not saying you need to be revisiting these traumatic times all the time. Fucking no. But it's something that you need to be doing if it's causing you severe anxiety. It's kind of good to figure out, okay, this is the moment. Let's just rehash what happened that day. This is what I did before. This is what I did after. This is what was going on for me. And this is what I felt. You're going to feel a much bigger sense of calm because you were able to pinpoint that moment. Even if you are completely powerless to what happened, even if there's absolutely nothing you can physically do to change it, so like I said, obviously there was what I said before where I made the phone call to my mom. I felt a lot better after that. But you could be in a situation where there's nothing you can do. But acknowledging it alone will do wonders for you. You're going to feel a lot calmer. You might go from being anxious about something to being maybe sad or nostalgic about something. Which, I mean, no one wants to be sad. But anxiety is then stress, is then everything. You're going to try, you want to talk yourself down from that anxious place as much as possible and I would rather you be temporarily sad about something than chronically anxious about something so that's why it is super important to be you know highlighting it bringing it to the surface you know when you shed light on something it loses a lot of its power because you are the one who is bringing it up you're the one that's in control in that moment being like I'm choosing to bring this to the light I'm choosing to shed light on it and your anxiety will start to dissipate now, of course, what I'm talking about here is feeling anxious in general. I'm not talking about ways of treating an actual anxiety disorder. Like I said, that's a whole nother ball game that I'm not really going to go into because obviously every case is different when it comes to an actual anxiety disorder and what's caused you to get to that place is going to be different for everyone. So it's not something I'm going to delve into this podcast. The last half of this podcast that I've been going on about is obviously about just general feelings of anxiety in your life around anything. One thing that's very common is that the more you feel that your life needs to be a certain way, the more likely it is to have these feelings crop up. If you feel that you have to be in control of absolutely everything in your life, whether it's 
how your life is going to play out. You've got to have achieved these milestones or goals by these specific dates. And by the time you're old, you must have achieved this. Or on a smaller scale, by the end of the year, I must have achieved this. Or by the end of the day, you know, and if you are feeling that you have to control all these things, keeping in mind that so much of your life journey is not in your control as far as relationships, what may happen in your career, your home. There's so much that is not in your control. Having children, that's not completely in your control. And even once you've had them, they're their own people and then you can't control them ultimately. So there's so much. If you if you are living in that headspace where you have to control everything, the chances of you having heightened levels of anxiety goes up. So maybe start looking into yourself saying, am I trying to control this area of my life or am I trying to control all these areas in my life? Because when something doesn't go right, if you feel that it's non-negotiable and it has to go this way, then that's where you're going to feel anxious. It's this idea of it, it's that gap between where you are and where you want to be and something's not sitting right, something's not happening and it's that distance that you are feeling and that is a form of anxiety. So if you can then detach yourself or learn to detach yourself from the control and there's a lot of my podcasts that actually do talk about that, like your need for certainty, that podcast. Um, What's the other one? Uh, comparison will kill you all those ones kind of address what I'm talking about right now and it's the idea that you have to be in control of other people's opinions or an outcome of something or your life to be a certain way that is a bit of a recipe for having anxiety in your life in general so you need to identify if you're one of those people or not. If you can identify it, you can do something about it. If you can't identify it, then it's just going to keep happening. And this is with fucking everything in life. I'm a huge believer that like once you shed light on it, then something, something can be done. Even if it's something as basic as just acknowledging it, you know, but you will keep receiving I don't know if it's the universe that sends you these messages or if it's you that subconsciously seeks it or a combination of everything whatever you want to see it as but lessons will be you keep getting the same lessons until you learn from them and it's impossible to learn from these lessons unless you shed light on them unless you identify them as a problem you know If you're always in a toxic relationship all the time, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're the toxic person. But there's something going on where you're seeking something in someone else and it happens to be a toxic trait. Or that that toxic trait in someone satisfies something within you that attracts you to those toxic people. So a lot of the time it's got nothing even to do with something you've done wrong or blame, but you have to identify where your behaviors are coming from. So I honestly would reckon that most of my topics do cover something around that and it, can't, it pretty much all my podcasts are down to identifying something in your behavior or in your thought patterns and this is one of them if you can identify that then you're going to realize that a lot of your need for control is where your anxiety stems from Amazing. So that's pretty much it for the anxiety podcast. If you have any general questions about this podcast, maybe chuck it on the Facebook group just because my DMs on Instagram are getting fucking out of control. I love them, but it's just, there's no way I can be responding to them all. I get like about 40 to 50 a day, which fucking love you guys for. And I do try and read as much of them as I can, but responding to them is, is getting 
um, it's getting a bit difficult for me. So maybe chuck them on the Facebook group. That way we have more of um, a feed that we can, you can, you know, if someone wants to put up a post and then people comment similar things and we can work through it together and then I try and get to them um, whenever I can. So yeah, Facebook group is going off guys. I fucking love the Facebook group. Please continue to share, rate and review the podcast because that really helps me as well and it helps um, a lot of people to see the podcast. If you're rating and reviewing it, then it gets in front of more eyes. So that would be absolutely amazing if you guys could keep doing that. You've Honestly, it's been amazing as always and I'm going to say it again. I'm super grateful. The growth of the podcast is 100% thanks to you guys. So I'm so grateful. I'm so appreciative of our little stunning community of stunning angels. Um, so that is all. Have a fucking amazing week. Next week, I love that I'm this organized. How fucking exciting is it that I'm this organized? But next week, I've got Luke on the podcast. He is the biggest fucking vibe ever. It's hilarious. It's There's a lot of like R-rated, con- oh, I don't know about R-rated, but M15 plus content on there. It's just a good time. Uh, yeah, I think you guys are going to love that one as well. So let me know what you guys think of this one. Jump on the Facebook group. Jump on the bloody written reviews. Share it on Instagram as you have been because that's so incredible how you guys do that and I love that so much. And as always, guys, um, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brains and don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.